Good. Can you hear me? All right. In the back? I'm just kidding. Uh, my name's Trey. Um, for those of you that don't know me, um, I texted Brandon this morning and I said, are you hat makers coming to church this morning? To which I got no reply. So I texted Jen and she said, yes, we're coming. And then I see Jason and I see Zeke and I see a ton of other people that should be teaching this morning besides myself, but I'm, I'm doing it anyway. Um, I wanted to say a big shout out and a congratulations. Several, several of you, uh, most of you were probably here a few weeks ago and Chris shared with us. Chris, where you at? Chris is celebrating one year sobriety today. That's awesome. So super proud of him, super proud of where you've come from and just where you're going. So anyway, I just want to let you know that today, this is not by no means uh, related to him, but we're talking about sheep and goats. Um, and it has nothing to do with, okay? But anyway, I've always had a hard time. Does anybody have a hard time telling the difference between the two? I'm the only one. Okay. Okay. A little bit. Um, I've always had a hard time. However, my wife... She can spot sheep and goats immediately and knows the difference well because uh, growing up, she grew up in the country, and I believe she had a goat, and so she's, all, she's my goat expert in the family. Um, she married a goat too, yeah, but thanks, it's like softball. Uh, that was bad, um, um, but I'm not sure if she owned the goat or the goat owned her because she tells stories about the goat and like... She would, uh, the goat would chase her, she'd get off the bus when she was a little girl, and the goat would chase her up the driveway, which was apparently a mile or so, right? I mean, uh, so you had this angry goat chasing my wife, which is where she got her Olympic speed from, which is another story, but we won't, we'll tell that one later. But also, the goat ate her go-kart seat, so if you want to talk country, come talk to my wife afterwards. So, um, Interesting thing I found out about goats this week, a few things. They're two distinct species, okay? Most people probably know that. I just took that for granted. But sheep have 54 chromosomes and goats have 60. Humans and chimps are cl- more closely related than, than goats and sheep are. Uh, sheep are grazers. They eat short, tender plants. Goats like to eat the tops of, of uh, plants. And will stand on, you've seen them stand on their hind legs to eat uh, like leaves off trees and stuff. Sheep tend to flock and are more domesticated. Goats are independent and can be found in the wild. Neither goats nor sheep like to get their feet wet. I don't know. That's just one of those things. In a fight, a ram, which is a sheep, backs up and charges to butt its enemy or whatever. And a goat raises up on its hind legs and slams its head down. Uh, And this favors a ram. It favors a sheep in this instance. Sheep's tails hang down. Goat's tails stick up. And sheep have fleece and goats have hair. So now you know. Now, next time you're out and you see an animal that looks like one of those two, now you can judge for yourself. Um, while the differences are fairly easy to see, uh, if looking at them, the story of the parable that we're going to talk about this morning sh- talks about sheep and goats. So uh, if you'll notice, uh, in, inside your bulletin you were handed when you walked in, there's a, an outline, which I'm so proud of myself for creating one, but then... Anyway, it didn't, it didn't work out exactly like I wanted. But anyway, there's an outline with a scripture on it, uh, a little tallied sheep for sheep and goats, and uh, we're going to run, rip through that. Uh, but the thing we're going to notice today is sheep versus goats, MO or modus operandi or their heart, 
uh, actions, posture, and humility, and eternity. Um, those are the those are the four uh, marks that we're going to look at. And just to, just to clarify, um, we'll be we'll be you can jot down any kind of notes that you feel the need to. We'll have a time of, of response as well. But let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture together. And it's kind of long, but just bear with me, Father. I just want to thank you for. Uh, this place and this time uh, for gathering us all here. Father, I pray that um, your word uh, does what it does. Father, that our, that our hearts are receptive, that our minds are open, and that, Father, we can learn something today from the scripture. Father, we love you. It's your son's name that we pray. Amen. Um, all right, so let's read, and I'll try to read quickly. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger invite you in, or needed clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and, or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, and into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will also answer the Lord. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment but the righteous to eternal life. So first of all, I want to, I want to kind of back up and, and notice that we're in the middle of Passion Week. Uh, and Brandon and Jason have both explained this well. Uh, I'm going to just kind of Reader's Digest version real quick. Jesus has already come into the town, triumphal entry on the back of a colt, um, people waving, waving palm branches, singing Hosanna, or crying Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. Uh, Jesus is coming in. There's, this, um, there's going to be a, a trial um, the same people that are, that are saying Hosanna will then turn on Jesus as uh, Pilate wants to release either Jesus or Barabbas, who's a known criminal, and the, the crowd will cry for Barabbas to be set free and Jesus to go to the cross. Jesus knows his fate and the, and the plan of the Father, and he realizes his last, last breaths are few. He has gotten just numbered words now. Uh, and as a matter of fact, when we look at this scripture, when, when we read that last word, of that scripture that is recorded in Matthew, we, we, we listened to or read the last words of Jesus in sermon form that he gave on earth. So imagine, if you will, for a second, you know uh, you're about to die. And this is the last lesson that you're going to tell your wife or your kids or your friends or those that you love or doing life with. Um, these are going to be some of the most direct, some of the most poignant, some of the most um, succinct, I mean, you choose your words. You don't, you don't have many left. And so you can imagine as Jesus is, is talking about this with his disciples and those would listen. These are very ch- 
you know, choice words. You'll see with me also this parable is talking about end times. Brandon mentioned this last week, I think. Um, and, and the study or your beliefs on end times is called your eschatology. Uh, and I know this used to freak me out when I was a kid. The end of times, God going to come back. Is you know, is the rapture going to happen? And I haven't, you know, you know, gotten my Christmas presents or whatever it is. Your eschatology, you know, is, is kind of shapes who you are. But it doesn't matter how or when the end times do come. We do do know that they will. Okay, uh, and and all I know is I've got to be ready, and that's what the scriptures point out. Uh, maybe it's just because I got old or whatever, but I'm not so scared anymore. But here in this passage, we see the Son of Man, Jesus, sitting on his throne. Uh, and, um, and I don't believe um, that what we believe about end times prophecy makes any difference. We just know that, that Jesus is a judge, and he's sitting on his uh, throne. Uh, John 5.24 tells us, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. So we see and recognize that Jesus here is the judge. Uh, and I am not, you are not, we are not, God is not. He, God granted Jesus the authority uh, to be judge. And there are three parables in chapter 25, and I'm sorry we're going so quick. We could, this could have taken us three weeks to study or longer. Um, but verses 1 through 13 reminds us, and this is, we did not cover this today, but you're, you're welcome to go back and read this. Verses 1 through 13 reminds us to be on alert because we know not the hour or the day of Christ's return. Verses 14 through 30 reminds us that when he does return, we must be ready to give an account to him because we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, and so we've got to be responsible. We've got to be good stewards of the time God's given us, of the resource God's given us, of the, of the people that God's placed in our lives. And so we're going to look at um, a few of these things. And I've got a couple of questions um, there on the outline. The first one is, who are the least of these? And this is where we open up and you get to share your thoughts on who the least of these are. The marginalized, yes. How so? What? The powerless. Those without resources. Orphans and widows. Very good. Refugees. Right. That's one of the one of the stances I've got here is the Jewish people. Yes. Anybody else? I mean, the list is long. You could you could think of the people that that you've been you've been asked to serve in community with or asked to serve on a fifth Sunday, and those people uh, are the least of these. And the Jewish people also, and also too, uh, it's also thought that they, they could just be uh, disciples. They could be disciples that are because um, Jesus sent out the disciples, and He's saying that they you know have no place to lay their head, and they have no resources, and they that you know that they don't have they're under resourced, as somebody said. So. Uh, that's also believed. But while there's division on, on what that could be or who the least could be, one thing is clear. The overwhelming message and the majority of the prophets talk to um, and pronounce ju- God's pronouncing judgment on Israel 
for having abandoned justice and fairness and playing favor, favorites to the rich and powerful. And the Bible clearly uh, is biased in favor of the poor. I mean, that's why, that's why ANC exists, uh, because we believe we have this moral imperative to serve the poor and be about the kingdom. That's it in a nutshell. But many of the times you've heard, you've heard me say this, and I think Brandon said this too as well, but there's over 2,200 scriptures in the Bible that, that point to the marginalized, the, you know, the, the under, um, what was the word? Under-resourced, yeah. Uh, the orphan, the widow, 2,200 scriptures throughout, throughout scripture talks to that. Uh, but I'm not so sure, you know, we could all be right. I'm, I'm assuming that is a possibility that we could all be right. Whatever you're passionate about in ministry, whatever um, God's laid on your heart uh, as someone to care for, uh, I, I'm, you know, even if it wasn't mentioned, it might not be wrong. So if it's single moms or orphans, whether it be people in Ethiopia or India, and whether you give to missions organizations or you, you sponsored a child when the African Children's Choir was here or you give to help one now or you've been on a mission trip to Haiti with them, um, if you serve in, you know, prison ministry, Bill Glass, I don't know if anybody here does that, but that's a great ministry. Um, maybe, you, maybe you're part of the recovery ministry. I believe anyone or any group uh, of people that are caught in the margins of society and the only good news that they know is surviving another day, those are the people that Jesus has called us to. Those are the people that, that we're, we're trying to serve uh, at A&C. The other question we need to talk about is who's the sheep and who's the goats? And this was fairly obvious. Who are the sheep and who are the goats? Sheep? Tail down. Bah, tail down. <laughs> what is this? Huh? Sheep, or the what? Those who served. Followers of Jesus, right? And the goats, the ones who, the ones who didn't. Not, follow, not followers of Jesus. Pretty simple. I think the question naturally comes along with this text and one that we feel a lot at A&C is, uh, and there's com- confusion around it. Am, am I saved through faith alone or am I saved by works? Am I saved through faith alone or am I saved by works? Does the passage say that only those that care for the least are followers of Jesus? Is that the case? No? Is that something exclusive to Jesus' followers to serve the least? No? So a better question may be, can someone who is not a believer care for the least and thus be considered righteous before Christ? We all know the answer to that, right? Anybody? No? I think we know that that answer is no. Um, but let's unpack that. We're going to look at the sheep and, and uh, the, four, the four areas that I want to look at again. Uh, well, first of all is the, the, uh, the sheep or followers in this case, didn't even know they were serving the, 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 that serving the least was a requirement of salvation, right? Um, not that it is. They did it naturally. It was an overflow. They didn't even realize they were doing it to Jesus, right? Because their question was, when did we do this, right? They weren't checking the box. They weren't doing it as part of a program that, that their church had organized or made him go participate in. And... Uh, I'm sure, like uh, we hope for all of us, that by simply tasting and seeing the goodness and blessing that's part of serving brings, that it becomes a natural overflow of our hearts. Notice this when it says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? I mean, they were literally unaware. Uh, This was just who they were. They were righteous because Jesus declared them righteous. And they were saved because of him. They didn't need to do anything. But because they were made right, their hearts, their MO had shifted from one of selfishness to others focused. So now the goats, unless they were being deceptive or were deceived in their own hearts, they too served the least according to the scripture. Or at least they said they did or thought they did. But they're on the left, and so something must, there must have been something more than just serving the least or thinking that you did. Maybe uh, 1 Samuel 16, 7 gives us a clue. It says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at the appearance or at the physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So it's merely the appearance of righteousness. So it's not merely the appearance of righteousness that Jesus judges by. The, the next thing is actions. Someone would argue that this uh, speaks to a works-based theology, and I think we've covered this already, but uh, if we believe that salvation is through faith alone, which we do as a church, we also know that anything that we do of our own righteousness is like filthy rags, uh, and that's out of Isaiah. When we're checking the box, when we're doing good things to be noticed or thought of as good, when we make a show out of serving or giving or helping, or doing things so that God loves us. Those are the things that are filthy rags. You see the difference here? Uh, one is motivated by God's love. The other one is motivated by our own um, really desire to be right. If that makes sense. There's this idea that if you stack up enough good things versus enough bad things. And the good outweighs the bad that you get to go to heaven. Right? You've heard this? kind of... My old pastor used to call it the good old boy theology. You know, he's just a good old boy. He's going to be in heaven. Um, but Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 states that for, gra- for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. So it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. See, the righteousness that we have, the righteousness that the sheep have, our actions, if there are any, are simply a byproduct. Now, if we aren't seeing a byproduct, our hearts, if our hearts are hardened, to those in the margins, I would say that all of them, uh, then we need to go back to step one. Am I declared righteous? Has Jesus saved me? Because our actions speak to the state of our heart. The next thing I want to look at here is posture. This was a really interesting aspect of this passage to me because I'd never noticed it before. And I want to help you notice the difference. Notice when Jesus is addressing the sheep on his right, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Their posture in this moment is telling. Their posture is genuine, and their posture is humble. The way they responded was said, when did we? When did we? When did we do these things that you're telling us we did? And Jesus says, when you did for the least of these. This wasn't some aw shucks, kind of fake humility thing. This was, this was truly, they, they never believed that they had, they had done these things to Jesus. 
They didn't believe that whether they did these things or not, that this was a requirement of them being saved. I think in the trappings of a church like ANC is that we do things like we take this Sunday's off or we do uh, move our Easter service to go uh, downtown and serve in the homeless community or we do uh, do our week off in community and go serve outside of ourselves. And people, not all people, but yes, uh, now, that I've, now that I've done these, I can check the box. You know, there's, the, there's, that, there's that trapping. And so I hope that being a part of A and C, that the goats, the goats that are a part of A and C, I mean, I think we've got goats, right? My wife used to call, if your underarms smelled bad, she called those goats too. I have no idea why. But if you've got goats... Uh, that somehow we don't uh, we don't believe that we've earned God's favor somehow simply by checking the box and going downtown and serving. Um, notice the posture of the goats and the difference in the reply to Jesus' statement. He said, "Depart from me, you who are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat, and I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison." And you did not look after me. And then their, their response is, is telling as well. Their response is genuine. Um, but their response was, when didn't I? When didn't I? When didn't I do all these things that you're talking about? And this isn't a one-time deal. This isn't a check-the-box kind of deal. The reason why that we serve the homeless uh, downtown on Easter or single moms or disadvantaged kids on Fifth Sunday or adopt orphans or even go to Haiti uh, is because we believe that it makes our lives richer. That in those times we're exposed to the margins, uh, when we're among the downtrodden or the broken in spirit um, and the brokenhearted, that we get really close to Jesus. Brandon, is it, a, is it in this book that you write about Jesus tricked us? Or was it the last book? I didn't read either one. So. But, but, but we, I mean, this is something Maybe you should. I should. I might. If it gets on the bestseller list, I read Jen's. Um, sorry. Anyway, um, where the heck was I? Oh, I'm gone now. It's off the rails. Um, but we do. We believe that. We believe that that Jesus tricked us in this in this moment of of God saying, "Be about the poor. Be be about the kingdom and serve the poor." that there's, there's, a, there's a moment that we get to be really, really close to Jesus. And not saying that we can't be really, really close to Jesus in this room, but I, but I think that, that he's more, um, more out there uh, among the brokenhearted because he says so in his word. Um, and this, this is true. We're not going to do the saving. You know, when we go out there in the streets, we're not going to cure uh, homelessness. Uh, we're, we're just going to feed the poor. You know, we're not going to adopt every orphan in the world. We're a small church. There may just be a handful of us that do. Um, but we're not going to save a single person. But Jesus will, and it might be us. So the last thing we'll talk about is eternity, because this one's really simple. Um, those that know Jesus, that claim his name, that believe in him only for salvation are saved, period. The sheep on the right, my right, your left. The sheep on the right are saved, the goats on the left are not. 
The sheep are not saved because they're better people. And they're not saved because they did more things or went to church on Sunday or gave more money in the offering. They're saved because Jesus declared them righteous. And they called on him for salvation. It's that simple. And last but not least, it is God's desire that all men and women are to be saved. And this parable is the last sermon that Jesus leaves us with for a reason. And he is destined for the cross, and he knows that. And the very last thing he shares with those that would listen was this sermon recorded in this passage. And I think it would be foolish to not hear and read these words and not do a little self-reflection. Matthew Henry wrote this. He said, You see, the wicked and the godly here dwell together in the same kingdoms, cities, churches, families, and are not certainly distinguishable from one another. Such are the infirmities of saints. Such are the hypocrisies of sinners. And one event to both. But in that day, they will be separated and parted forever. So do some self-reflection. Allow God to penetrate and convict. Ask yourself, am I a sheep or am I a goat? And answer honestly. Because only, I mean, that's, that's, between, that's between you and God. Ask God, where do I stand? Where do I stand with you, God? And he'll let you know. He's not hiding from you or me. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. So even a goat, if seeking, God will reveal himself. Honestly, I know I said this before. I said this a minute ago. There's goats in the room this morning. There has to be just based on the numbers. I don't know all of you. Uh, and even the ones I do know. There's goats in the room. And if you self-identify as a goat, uh, know that you're welcome at a church like ANC. But as we study scripture, we have to deal with God one-on-one on this. This is, this is personal. This is where do I stand with God? If you want to uh, talk to somebody about that, if you, if you, if after some reflection, if you've, if you've thought about it and you want to reach out to one of us, please do this week. This is a serious matter, and this is, a, this is an eternal matter. See, goats may look like sheep, right? That's why I can't tell the difference. And goats may act like sheep. I even learned goats can sometimes mate with sheep, and they have some weird offspring. But know this, goats, goats can fool sheep, but goats can't fool the shepherd, right? We learn, we learn that the judge, Jesus, he can't be fooled. So let's pray. Father, uh, we do know that it is your, it's your desire that none of us would perish and that all in this room would find life and peace and hope through your Son. I just pray that those that are wrestling with the truth of your word today won't merely walk away from your voice that's calling, that you would meet us where we are. Allow us the courage to cry out to you and only you who's strong enough to save. Thank you for sending your Son. Thank you for Jesus and for his atoning sacrifice for us all. We love you. In your son's name we pray.